Starting a business can be scary. Some ideas succeed, many others fail. What separates the winners from the losers? How do you raise capital and get off the ground? What's the secret ingredient for founders and entrepreneurs to get ahead? From the mayor's office in New York City, to the Treasury Department in Washington, to the startup scene in Miami, our guest this week brings us some answers based on her own recent success. Maxime Tuckman, CEO and co-founder of Caribou, an interactive educational video calling platform for kids. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insider's Limited Liability Podcast. And welcome back to Jewish Insider's Limited Liability Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. Jared, how has the summer been for you? We are in the dog days of summer, you would say, almost in back-to-school mode for those kitties. I hope family vacations for everyone have gone well and some great summer memories in the books. Well, I'll tell you what. It's been a great summer. Uh, everybody's been safe. Nobody's gotten sick. And the Yankees are crushing it down the stretch. They're going to be really tough to catch, uh, as is as is tradition this time of year. So looking forward to a, uh, a great, great fall baseball season. And as we say in Chicago, there's always next year. Uh, I grew up saying it. I had a brief moment of my adult life where I wasn't saying it anymore, but I'm saying it again now. Uh, but uh, but I have faith. Uh, is that like saying next year? Is that like is that like we say next year, next year in Jerusalem? Jerusalem. <laughs> Chicago fans say there's always. I mean, to be fair, New York Jets fans say that also. Um, I actually so. would encourage. I never thought about this, but the Chabad closest to Wrigley Field, uh, which I uh, used to attend, uh, the Chabad of Lakeview. They really should have like a second Mashiach Seder. You know, they do that at the end of Passover, in the Pesach. They have a Mashiach Seder where, you know, it's like this is the night where we're going to bring the Mashiach. And uh, I've always thought that maybe like during the World Series, when it's not us, they should yeah, have yeah. like a second, like a World Series Seder and like bring people in. And it'd be what a great recruitment opportunity. Yeah, that was that, uh, Rabbi of Chabad of Lakeview, if you're listening. <laughs> the Rabbi Kotlarski out there. That, that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly. the message. Uh, no, but I will say this. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. You probably heard this anecdotally. Uh, so many people going to Israel this summer. So many family vacations. Uh, and amazing to me, people with young children who might not otherwise have traveled you know, with the the veil of, you know, COVID being lifted and these couple of years of not being able to travel so much, you know, now behind us and hopefully forever behind us, uh, just an explosion of tourism going on, uh, of people going to Israel. It's wonderful to see. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, it's, we, we see it, I see it on social media. I feel like I'm the only one who has not gone to Israel this summer. Although I feel like going to Israel in the summer is pretty, pretty toasty. Uh, um, it can be toasty, but for those who have lived in Washington during August, fair uh, enough, fair you know, yes. your, uh, pick your poison there. Anyways, Agreed. we have a wonderful right, guest let's get here, to our guests. Jared. Go, yes. go ahead and introduce okay. her. Maxine Max Tuckman is the CEO and co-founder of Caribou, an interactive video calling platform that helps kids have virtual playdates with family and friends when they can't be together. Before co-founding Caribou, Max was appointed by President Obama to serve as Senior Policy Advisor and White House Fellow at the U.S. Department of Treasury. In this position, she worked on issues of financial inclusion and student loans. 
Prior to that, Max served as executive director for Teach for America Miami-Dade. And before that, she served in Mayor, wait for it, Mike Bloomberg's bullpen, where she co-created the NYC Civic Corps and managed the NYC Waterfalls art installation, bringing in $69 million of economic impact to the city. Max received her BA from New College of Florida and holds an MBA from Harvard Business School in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Harvard. 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 And an MPP from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jared. I'm so excited to be here. So we have another Bloomberg alum. Pretty. I mean, what stuff. is this? I mean, stop it with the <laughs> with the Bloomberg alumni database. I mean, it's like I <laughs> get it. What? You all could see each other in this big pit. It's wonderful. <laughs> like you know, that's right, right, Max. You've come a long way from the Bloomberg bullpen. We see you on morning shows now. See you on CNBC. You are a prominent COVID era entrepreneur. So let's start with Caribou. Tell us about it. Funny story, everyone thinks we invented caribou because of the pandemic, but we were uh, available for families separated by distance uh, since 2017. So what we do at the core of it is we make video calls less boring for kids. So we have an interactive video call. It's got content, it's got books, it's got coloring sheets, it's got activities. We have stickers now that you can like make your own you know, stories. You can draw together in a video call. Um, and there's just so much stuff to do that our average caribou call is about 40 minutes so all the bubbies listening out there if you want to talk to your grandchild for 40 minutes on a video call it's got to be through caribou yeah because like i think anybody who has small children uh like us does relate to this during COVID. especially we had let's say she was one to two during like the height of covid and, you know, the idea of FaceTime was huge, right? Like, oh, it's Bubby and Zadie on FaceTime. Like, how long could that go? It was like two minutes, three minutes. And then it's like, do not want to talk to them. Something else is happening. Could not keep attention. Well, it's the Spanish Inquisition for the kid, right? I mean, grandma's like, what did you do today? Especially during the pandemic. You know, like, uh, how, was, how was Zoom school? Did you eat something? You know, have you, and then the kid's like, okay, what is with this? I, I have too many questions. I don't know the right answers. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, and they run away. So, yeah, if you have young kids, you, you know what a FaceTime call with grandma can look like. Um, and Caribou really changes the game by making it fun and, and really bringing the virtual play date to life, right? I mean, the in-person play date's amazing. Everyone wants an in-person play date, but you can't always do that. So Caribou is the next best option. So, so Max, how did you come with this idea or how did you adopt this idea? I mean, like you were, you were Bloomberging away, then you were a White House fellow, uh, and, and Max and I had this great, uh, great time at President, uh, at then Vice President Biden's Russia Shana party at the Naval Observatory. I and literally then, have a picture with now President Biden because of Jared. So thank okay, you. But hey, but but and then and then you you left government and, you know, you were on the rise and you were a White House fellow and you decided to take this entrepreneurial route. So tell us about how that all came about. Oh my God, you sound like my Jewish grandmother who is like, what are you doing? Like you have this great career, you're growing places, you have a lot of you know, business school debt, why are you gonna go be an entrepreneur and eat chicken nuggets? So yes, yes, I did I that. Like um, they're amazing, you gain a lot of weight, trust me on this. Uh, when It's like, I'm not a ramen diet kind of person, right? Like I'm always, I'm a chicken nuggets. Uh, diet kind of person. And um, so, yeah, so, so here I was like, I mean, honestly, my entire career has been built around trying to solve equity in education, right? I was a, a kid, I'm a Jubin, 
um, a Jewish Cuban. Uh, so that means that, you know, well, actually both my parents, this is actually very rare. Both my parents are Jewish Cubans. Um, so they married and had a super Cuban Jewish baby, which is me. And they, and they, they were, you know, they were both, both born in Cuba and came here, yeah, both immigrants. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So my dad's side, uh, you know, survived the Holocaust. My grandmother, you know, survived Auschwitz. My, you know, oldest uncle was born in a displaced persons camp. Like, I mean, the whole story on my dad's side, they fled to Cuba. And then on my mom's side, it was actually the Ukrainian Bolshevik revolution that kicked them out. They ended up in Cuba. My grandmother was born in Cuba on my mom's side. And then, you know, both kind of left Cuba at different points um, and made it to Miami and Puerto Rico because, yeah, go ahead, Jared. I was going to say the land of our people, Miami. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, so, you know, again, the land of all right, people nowadays. But yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, in the 60s, when my mom's side got there, uh, the hotels had signs that said no dogs and no Jews in the lobby. Right. So it wasn't a very friendly place. No one in Miami spoke Spanish in 1960, whatever, uh, which is, you know, no one believes me when I say that it was it was Miami. Right. It was a very southern town. Um, and, and so, you know, as I was growing up later, I just kept hearing from my parents, the only thing you can take with you when you flee in the middle of the night, right? This is the, you know, all of us Jews know this, this has been cemented. Uh, the only thing you can take with you in the middle of the night is what you have up here, right? In, in your mind. And, and a lot of us never really had, you know, my parents didn't have formal education. I'm the first one in my family to go to college. So it was never about like the degrees. It was never about the formal education. It was about the apprenticeships. It was the things you learned on the street, the things you learned from your family. Um, and that was the thing that was going to help you in the next place, right? It was the thing that was going to give you social mobility in the next place. And so I just became with this, obsessed with this idea of, wow, like education is incredibly important and, and formal education even more so gives you that leg up. Um, and and uh, and since the beginning days, I've just said, you know, I, I want to dedicate my life to finding solutions that make quality education available to all, no matter, you know, who you are, where you come from, what you look like. Wow. Sorry. So tell so so keep going with the story, though. Right. So, yeah, that's at the meta, that's that's the like the inspiration. But how did you get from working in the bullpen uh, yeah. and, and dealing with the crazy, the craziness that was like on the daily which I guess was good training for being an entrepreneur, yeah. <laughs> right? So tell yes, us how, so, how that happened. Oh my God. I think um, honestly being a high school teacher prepares you for anything. There's nothing that has been hard after that. And uh, when an 18 year old stares you in the face, <laughs> you know, like there's just nothing uh, scarier than that. Um, so everything has been easy since then. And then, um, you know, also when you are working for someone like, Mike Bloomberg, right? So it's it's him as a person, but then you're also working uh, for the people of New York City, one of the largest cities uh, in the world. You you end up, yeah, being prepared for almost anything. You're you're ready at a moment's notice. You're there to solve problems. Everyone in New York City's problem is your problem. Um, so you just become kind of a serial problem solver. And it was the best preparation I I could have asked for uh, to to build my own company. Right? I, I went to a fancy business school. And I thought I was so prepared to start my own business and then realized everything I learned uh, was not really that helpful. Um, it was more the kind of being on the go uh, no, and also seeing opportunities. I think all of my, I talked about this on CNBC this morning, like 
you know, my background allowed me to see things from different angles. And it gave me the opportunity to, when I met my co-founder, realize that we were going to build something truly game-changing, world-changing uh, together. And so the, the genesis of, of Caribou is here I am. Uh, so I was running Teach for America in Miami. So I was a core member with Teach for America, actually. So the fun, the, the great uh, uh, kind of line is that I graduated from Miami-Dade County Public Schools. I was then a teacher in Miami-Dade County Public Schools. And then I ran Teach for America with Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Um, so I was very dedicated to to my hometown. And um, you know, I'm running Teach for America and I'm realizing, my God, like we're making an impact, but we're not going fast enough. Uh, the system is unfortunately full of adults fighting with adults about what's best for adults and kids at the end of the day sometimes lose out. Um, and, you know, ed tech was starting to, to like kind of really uh, version and um, Common Core was really helping with that. I don't know if people remember, but before Common Core, like every district had their own thing. Um, there's over 50 districts in Florida by themselves, right? So if you're a tech company trying to build something for schools, it was impossible to scale. Um, and, uh, and so I got into the White House fellows and, and said, you know what, let me take this year to, I was going to go to ed, right? I was going to go to the Department of Education because I was like, I just got to keep going ed, ed, ed. Um, and I realized, wow, what an incredible opportunity. I got this great advice uh, from a friend, Brian Ford, who said, this is the year to step back and actually do something different and, and change your perspective so that when you go back into education, you, you almost have like kind of shifted, you, you, you sat on the balcony, you, you just have a very different way of looking at the problem. Um, so I ended up at Treasury. And um, while I was at Treasury, I got a, an email from this guy. There's this website, it used to be called Founder Dating, it does not exist anymore. It's very non-romantic uh, dating for founders. It's, it's a place where technical co-founders can find non-technical co-founders, because that's actually one of the hardest parts about building a startup is having that complementary skill set, right? Someone to build the product and me, I don't know if you can tell I like to talk and I can go sell anything. Um, so, you know, he messaged me and said, hey, I built this prototype um, in, in business school. I, I think it has legs, but I'm not a CEO type. I'd love someone who, uh, you know, who can help me build a company around the technology. Uh, and that's when we got together and, and it's, uh, it's been gangbuster since then. And where does it go from here in your view? So obviously COVID must have been a boon, um, but, you know, we're coming back. But I still think we're in this weird virtual hybrid world. Um, what are you seeing as far as demand for the platform now? And what are sort of the applications uh, as you go forward? And Max, for what it's worth, Rich and I have been doing this podcast for over a year together. And we've only met in person one time. Exactly. Like, and we and we were a year and we were a year and a half in before we met. That's true. In person, it's it was pretty crazy. Bananas. All right. Sorry. Answer not to break your point there, but no. But I think that's a really great point. Is in person is always great, right? In person is always the number one option. It is for so many reasons, but unfortunately, and not you know, no, not even a pandemic specifically, like. There are reasons why you have to be separated by distance. There's travel for work. There's divorce. There's deployment. There's um, you know people moving for jobs. There's grandparents moving into assisted living facilities. There's all these reasons why we can't see each other uh, all the time, and that's always been a problem it, before the pandemic as well. Um, and so you know, back to Rich's question, like I mean, the next step for us is global domination. There's just no stopping us anymore because. Because think about it, right? So, so Bloomberg, I love it. Here. I love it. 
Or just anybody who likes to play best. Risk. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike also used to always, as soon as you joined the team, I don't know if he says to you, Jared, yep. and I'll keep it clean for the podcast. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> you you start at um, in the bullpen, and then you finally get to meet Mike, and he goes by Mike, and and he's like, you know, he he you know shakes your hand, and he's very, and you're like, oh my god, he's so excited that I'm here, and he looks you dead in the eyes, and he goes, don't f it up, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> true story. You're like no pressure. Oh my god. <laughs> um. So yeah. Again. Also, eighteen staring. You know, eighteen year old staring you in the face. Mike Bloomberg telling you don't f it up. And like, you know, everything's easy after that. But, um. So here's the thing that I know about any parent with zero to seven year olds during the pandemic, for at least almost a, three months for sure. At least almost a year. You built daily reading, drawing, and playing habits with your child while you were together. There was no way around it. Unless you were a terrible parent and you just ignored your kid, you were stuck with your kids in a house and you were building these daily habits. So I'm actually really bullish post-pandemic, whatever that means whenever we get there, um, for the you know kind of longevity of the need for caribou for something that keeps that daily habit going even when you have to do it virtually. And so, Max, who you know? Who are the users? Are they are they families? Are they like? Is it big in the veterans community? I know Rich. When Rich was deployed, it was before you had kids, right, Rich? Yeah, but, yeah. But right. could you I imagine mean, I this? Home. I skyped. I saw my friends who did have kids just like sitting on some bench or whatever, you know, skyping with their kids, and that was like you had to do your laptop. I mean, there were early iPads. Your iPhone was capable of it at that point, but it was very early on, and it was not, you know, that user friendly. I mean, can you imagine this, Rich, as you're like, if you were deployed now, I mean, what, the, how this would have been a game changer for dealing with your kids? Yeah. Well, first of all, the technology you can bring with you on deployment is already a game changer, but yes, I mean, the, the, the platform, the app, yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually, Rich, I'll tell you our origin story. Um, my co-founder saw a picture of a soldier sitting at a coffee shop literally with a laptop in front of him and this huge children's book on his shoulder. Um, and he saw this picture. My, my co-founder loves to like look at problems and be like, oh my God, I can probably build something that would make that a lot better. Um, so he sees this picture. This soldier is like obviously looking at the book, right? So he's not looking at the laptop. The book is too far away from the little webcam on the laptop. So the child probably can't really see the text or the pictures or anything. It's like, what a horrible experience. Um, and so we, you know, were inspired by the U.S. military to build Caribou, and because of that, we have a partnership with Blue Star Families, where we give uh, free lifetime subscriptions to all currently serving U.S. military um, as our as our thank you for their service, but also as a thank you for the inspiration, um, and and also you know families that are are out there, um, and and even if you're not deployed, right? But most people don't know this, but out of the 1.3 million military. Uh, members in the U.S. most are not deployed, but they're doing PCSs, right? Which is a permanent change of station, and so kids are sometimes being bounced around from base to base to base over the years, and are away from family, are away from their friends. Um, and Caribou, you know, is 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 that thing that helps connect them and and stay connected to uh, people that they love. Uh, I'd love to zoom out a little bit into the broader entrepreneurship space that you're in. Um, you are a self-described Jubin. Uh, you are female. Um, you know this is uh, a space where 
your peers, uh, many of whom have faced a series of challenges uh, because of their backgrounds uh, and numerous dem demographics over the years. What has your experience been as a woman, as a Jew, as a Latina, you know, in, in this space? And, and what are you seeing if there's any changing dynamics there? You know, this is probably the most painful part uh, to talk about of building a startup is you can build a phenomenal business. You can literally have customers around the globe in 200 countries and territories paying you, loving your product. Um, but the system around your company was not built for people that look like you. And the statistics are extremely extremely offensive, uh, honestly. So the statistics around funding for uh, women and people of color led startups is that we get less than 2% of the total funding that's out there. Um, so, you know, we end up women and people of color end up building better businesses because we're forced to, uh, we're undercapitalized, and we don't get as many doors open to us. Um, even with my fancy Harvard degree, uh, you know, the the network doesn't always respond. Actually, um, I uh, my name is my full name is Maxime M A X E M E, but I go by Max, and my email is Max at caribou.com, specifically because I get responses faster and more respectful responses when people think that they're dealing with a guy um, who runs a tech startup. So you know uh, the the misogyny that I've dealt with, it's not fun. Um, but, you know, honestly, again, growing up as a woman, Latina, you know, uh, you know, Jewish, um, I face discrimination every day. So it's something that I grew up with, I learned to kind of cut out the noise, um, and just focus on what's important. Um, I also learned to take the underestimation and almost use that as fuel. Um, people told me, don't go start a startup. You're you know, not going to get funded. You're a woman who's a Latina who's building a company in Miami, like good luck. Um, back before Miami Tech was cool. And uh, I don't know, that just made me want to do it more. Um, and honestly, and again, I'm a white presenting Latina, right? So uh, my, my heart goes out to the discrimination that is faced by those um, who face colorism as well. Uh, and, but at the same, and, and honestly, like, I don't have a, a really pretty picture to paint. Like it got worse during the pandemic. Um, it, uh, I thought I actually was, was really naive. I really thought that in the era of zoom, that things would become more equitable, right? Because for some people, they can't afford to fly out to San Francisco and raise money, right? They, they're dealing with a family, they're low income, whatever the situation is. So it was, um, you know, some people don't have the money to buy like, you know, the, the right things or, or the network, they didn't go to the fancy schools, they, they can't get in and, and break into the network. So, you know, there's, there's just a lot of bias in the system, it hasn't really been fixed, it really didn't get equalized with the pandemic, we have a lot of work to do. Um, even women founders, uh, women investors, sorry, so women who are on the investing side, are also uh, facing a lot of discrimination in who invests in their funds with LPs, um, who, uh, you know, who allows them to make decisions at the bigger funds if they're not, you know, kind of the, the general partner of that fund. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not awesome. Do I have hope that it's going to change? Unfortunately, no. So, so Max, what if we were, if we were blue sky in this, right? If we were saying like, we could, we could move what needs to change, right? Uh, clearly there's, there are some systemic, but like if, if you were talking to uh, people who are, you know, VCs, male led, white male led, like what would you tell them if you could 
give them some advice about you know how to be more equitable and chase the most potential success in in the startups that they're investing in what would you tell those guys uh, this is my phil donahue um, moment so many things <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, here's the thing is, um, so I, uh, I'll, I'll mention this, this situation with, um, Jason Calacanis. Uh, so he's a big super angel investor, uh, out in San Francisco and he, um, he's a white male, uh, from Brooklyn, I think. And he, uh, like has made some really big bets, I think Twitter and Airbnb. And so he's been very successful. He wrote a book and he came down to Miami, uh, to do kind of a book tour and at the end they asked for questions and at the time i guess it was 2017 between 2017 2019 um i you know i asked him the question of hey you know me too and time's up has actually worked against me in the vc space because what ended up happening is that everyone got really scared to meet with female founders which I was like, why are you scared? <laughs> um, and and so we didn't get the meetings, right? And a lot of our meetings used to be in very informal places, bars and uh, and places where things just got a little tricky. And so instead of making it more equitable and bringing meetings back to offices or just cutting out all the like, you know, kind of unfortunate stuff, um, they just stopped talking to women. And so I said to Jason, you know, like, what are you doing to to personally fix this or to personally like, you know, do better. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting about him was just on his side, changing his perspective. He said that, you know, when he was writing the book, um, he, <laughs> uh, he was writing this whole thing where he was like, you know, I'm an outsider. I, you know, I come from Brooklyn. I'm like a, you know, like I'm not a Silicon Valley kid, blah, blah, blah. And he said he has an Asian wife and is, wife read that and was like are you serious like what is wrong with like who are you like you know and um and and he used to only take meetings because he was like oh it's based off of merit uh you know and if you if you got to a certain place then like you know you can meet with me and he started to realize like my gosh the the starting line isn't even fair right the the things that you have to do to get to these milestones that i consider merit based um are not fair and equitable and and he really changed his perspective and changed the way that he thought about, you know, who he talked to, who he put in his pipeline. Um, and, and like, look, you know, um, becoming more equitable, becoming, you know, anti-racist is, is a journey and every, all of us are on it. Um, and so I think it really starts with you, uh, you know, uh, you know, everyone um, really taking an introspective look, understanding why you're biased against certain people, uh, why you don't think women uh, who have children can build phenomenal businesses, uh, why you underestimate a person of color, all of those things. Um, and, and, you know, try to write the ship. And I think, you know, I think for some people listening, it's important for them to know that, you know, there's a difference between your standards changing on the bottom line, right? The fundamentals of an idea, the fundamentals of valuation, the fundamentals of whether or not uh, a company is going to succeed is different than ensuring that you are getting the right deal flow, that you're getting the maximum deal flow from, from all the possible people who have good ideas. And, and I think that's, that's a key, a key. It's not just about, hey, we're going to you know, throw money, angel investing around and just, you know, hope, hope one of these, you know, lands because, you know, it's just we just want to be more equitable. It's, it's you know, the, the, the 
product, the quality, that's all there, right? Because it's still about the dollars and cents in in business, um, but making sure we have more people come in the door. Yeah. And also, you know, check it. Like the amount of investors that I've spoken with that are like, oh, I just can't find women or people of color. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's like 700 incubators and accelerators specifically for these people graduating these type of founders. Um, it's, binders it's not, full it's of founders, a, Jared. Binders full binders of founders. Binders full of amazing. Hey, hey, I hey, can make that hey, joke. Hey, hey you know funny. what, though? He's, hey, he's, one, of the, he's one of the good <laughs> guys now, you know? It's, yeah. Sorry, well, I, I'd love to back out a yeah. little bit and, and maybe just towards that, you know, just in the dollars and cents side and the fundamentals of starting a business and being an entrepreneur. Um, a lot of people fail, right? And, and, and it, they, they get their shot, they, you know, they have their good idea, they have their connections, and it does not get off the ground. What have you learned that you would give advice to somebody listening of like, I have an idea, I've always wanted to do something, you know, how can I be max? What, what don't you do? What do you do? Uh, lessons learned that will separate you potentially from success and failure? Yeah, great question. Um, you got to buy Max's upcoming book to get find out. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. You'll, you'll need to be part of the Max Clubs. Yeah, 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 CNBC, yeah. CNBC. Or that's that's yeah. going to be in your in your uh, masterclass. No. I really, yeah. There's so many things that I just need to write down to do tomorrow. Um, so, a, so a couple of things. One, um, this is not easy. This is some days not fun. Most days is fun, which is why I keep doing it. Um, And also it is not for the faint of heart. Like if you love having security in your paycheck coming every two weeks and having health insurance and a 401k, like don't go run a startup. Like this is, this is like, I, a lot of people say that startups are like roller coasters. No, they're like Halloween horror nights. It's everything is is people are coming at you with chainsaws and it's dark and it's scary and it's lonely and everything around the corner is 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 horrible um and and it's just it's it's tough so if anyone out there is thinking like oh I'll just go do a startup Max makes it sound super easy no um you you literally have to be and I'm not joking here this is really important you literally have to be obsessed with the problem you are trying to solve. Not your solution, the problem you are trying to solve. Because your solution may not, like you said, you may fail at the first iteration of that solution. You may have to pivot. You may have a solution that fails, but then another solution uh, you know, wins. But it's about the problem. What problem are you trying to solve and are you obsessed? Like literally you need to be talking in your sleep about the problem that you are trying to solve. You need to be thinking about it. Like I haven't rested. <laughs> in in so many years because um that's how you know that's how you know that it's going to be successful and that's how you know that you are ready to jump in chancletas first and build your own startup um because you just you can't think of anything else um and and unfortunately friends and family go by the wayside like uh that um there are some people who've been able to to balance things i don't know how they do it but most of us um uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not fun for family and friends. Um, but if you have an idea that if you, if you really think you have a solution to a problem that you're obsessed with, like you owe the world, um, for you to go out and build it. Like, I, I just, I feel like there's that responsibility. Max, tell us about, you know, we think startups, we think Silicon Valley, um, we think, we think New York, 
to a lesser extent, but you're in Miami and you alluded to it a little bit earlier when you first started, there, there wasn't really a startup scene to speak of in Miami. What's going on in Miami and what's going on in sort of the other non-traditional startup cities? We know like Nashville, places like that, but what do you make of the, the geographic landscape with all of this? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So wealth was wealth and talent were kind of concentrated in, in San Francisco, Silicon Valley for for way too long. Um, that power dynamic was unfortunate because, like I said, it forced people to have to go there. Um, it it created this kind of like if you're not here, you're not important type of mentality, which which wasn't true, right? Especially the people that are outside of Silicon Valley are a lot of times the people that are solving real people problems. I remember there was a startup <laughs> that um, I saw an ad for and it was this guy walking down San Francisco uh, streets and, and he was, I won't say the name of the company, but he was like, Hey, the name of the company was the name of this like AI thing. And he was like, Hey, you know, AI, um, what wine should I get for my dinner party? <laughs> like it was like this AI thing to like solve first world problems. And I was, uh, so you like, sometimes like it was a, mis sometimes for some people it was a bad idea to be in Silicon Valley because you were in an echo chamber and you were building things for people that like, you know, robots that would go and do your laundry. Like in most places that that is not going to work. It's not going to scale. So um, and also, I um, there's this woman, uh, I think her name is Stephanie from Leche Lounge. I saw her on a panel one time, and she went back uh, to her town in, um, I want to say North Dakota. I'm probably butchering this. She's going to hate listening to this. Um, but she went back to a very small town in middle America. Uh, and the reason that she started, like she brought her startup back there is she had young kids, and she was like, this is my place of power. This is my place where my community is rallying around me, and it's so hard to build a startup. Don't you want a community that's rooting for you versus Silicon Valley, where a lot of people are rooting against you, or you're the only woman in the room and everyone wonders whose girlfriend you are? Like it just wasn't. It was like a violent place uh, to to try and and stand out. And I could be a big dolphin in a small pond in Miami. Um, I knew the people who were writing the the press stories. I knew the people that had co working space that would give it to me for free in the beginning days while I was eating my chicken nuggets. Um, and and also. Uh, 2017 when we started Caribou is really around that time where things started to shift. A lot of companies before me who started in Miami when they raised a Series A had to go to the Valley, uh, you know, because investors would be like, okay, we're making a significant investment. You have to be out here on, you know, Sand Hill Road because we have to like be near you. Um, and so when we started, there was still that pressure. We went out to San Francisco to raise money and everyone was like, oh, if you don't move here, we're not going to give you a check. And I was like, okay, thanks for, you know, leaning out. Um, and so we actually were the first investment um, for Rise of the Rest. So Steve Case, uh, founder of AOL, uh, has a thesis where he wants to invest in the rest. He doesn't invest in Silicon Valley, I think, Austin and Boston, New York. What some uh, There's like three places where he doesn't invest because he's like, I want to invest in the founders that are building phenomenal businesses outside of the tech hubs. And Miami, we were their first investment in Florida. Um, so that was just starting, that thesis was just starting to prove itself out and it has. Um, and then we were AT&T's first investment in Florida. So they were starting to see that there were other places uh, to make investments. And then um, you know, we, and then, and then the mayor does a tweet and everyone moves down to Miami. So like, now I don't have to go to the Valley anymore. Now everyone's here. Now I got more competitive. Now I'm becoming like a little baby shark in a big ocean. Are, are you all so. cryptoed up? 
being in Miami with the mayor? Are you, are you, are you like, do you have the Miami coin? This is like some like, there's a Miami crossover coin? now to my, <laughs> yeah. you may know I have, I have a crypto podcast, Kryptonites. It's a little, little crossover event all of a sudden happening, but, uh, Whoa. well, yeah. Well, what, what, uh, yeah, it's too bad. There's no video on this. Cause you all didn't get to see my humongous eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. All right. Max, could you give us, I want, I yeah. want to know about growing up Jubin. Mm. Tell me like a good family anecdote about like growing up Jubin because like Rich and I both grew up, you know, Ashkenazi, like Rich in Chicago, me in New York, pretty cookie cutter. And like, it was amazing, very rich tradition. And like when, you know, when they, when like Fiddler on the Roof was like written about my, my ancestors. Right. But like, that's a different, you your family had a different journey uh, and, and, and must've had different traditions along the way. And so like, I don't know. I, I would like to hear a family anecdote. Fiddler on the New Year's party and Godfather. That's the, yeah, right. Yeah. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, the the number one question I get when I tell people that I'm Jewish and Cuban is, "What do you do about pork?" It's like a real thing people want to know. Um, and my answer is that I eat it because it's delicious. So, okay. Um, and then the a second thing that people want to know is, did you have a bat mitzvah or a quinceanera? Oh. It's also a very good question. Yeah. Um, and I had a bat mitzvah. So I am like, you know, really like, I think that's the fun part about um, living between these two cultures is they, they're very different. But at the same time, I think the values around family, um, around helping others is, is prominent in both. Um, I, I feel like I'm a spicy Jew and kind of a watered down Latina sometimes. Um, and (laughs) you know, it depends on which, you know, which, uh, which place I'm at. Um, I, I think it also, it gave me the, the thing that I love most about it is that it gave me empathy. It allowed me to build empathy for almost anyone because of the, the assumptions that are made about me, the the you know kind of the feeling sometimes i got about not being jewish enough for the jews and not being cuban enough for the cubans um has made me just again someone who's like a social justice warrior because i i know what it feels like to not feel like you can i code switch right i i learned very early to code switch um and to assimilate to you know different types of uh communities um, and those are all skill sets that I think have been extremely helpful, um, in my adult life. So I'm grateful for all the painful parts of it. <laughs> all right. Are you ready for the lightning round, Max? Do it. All right. So we're going to ask you a series of questions. Um, don't think about any one of them too much just to get a little bit of a more of, of a sense of sort of what's in your kishkas. So Rich, you, you want to go first? Uh, I am always ready to go first. Um, do you have a favorite Yiddish word or phrase? And profanity is allowed here. Ooh, ooh. Um, Shana Punam. I feel like oh. that's the, you go, you go, like I was, I, I was training in Krav Maga and it was always about don't hurt your Shana Punam. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I I took some Krav Maga. The instructor never used that term with me because uh, you don't have it. By the way, because you don't I, have a uh, Shana Punam, Rich. Well, we don't have video to prove or disprove that these is. Uh, uh, that, you know, you're welcome to go online right. to the website and have your own opinions. Uh, <laughs> favorite Jewish Cuban food. Ooh, um, 
so Thanksgiving food, which is not a, a food, but it, Thanksgiving is like when we really bring out the kugel, the matzo ball soup, really? the flan, the yeah, like it, it just gets really Jewish Cuban at Thanksgiving of, of all holidays. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, favorite Spanish word or phrase? Mm, my favorite Spanish word is arcoiris, which is rainbow. All right. Very good. All right. Best book you've read recently, and you could say an earnings report because I feel like as a as a well, I feel like as a founder, you don't get that you don't have a lot of like downtime to read a lot. But like, prove me you know wrong. What's so. No, well, actually, about a year ago, I had um, posts stop asking me, like, what do you do in your free time? Because I was like, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't have that. Um, but I have crazy insomnia, and it was recommended to me to start reading physical books to help me fall asleep. And so I've actually been reading a lot of books. Okay. Um, I do fiction only because the world is too crazy. I just, like, I need to uh, walk away. Um, and I will say, uh, Where the Crawdads Sing is one of the most recent books that I read. A movie is coming out about it. I'm very excited. And it was phenomenal. It was written by this woman who's like a, a nature conservative, like cons- conservatist. I don't even know what the word uh, is. She's, like she's like 70. She's never written a book in her life. And she wrote a wonderful, phenomenal book with this amazing, fabulous female lead character. Um and go see the movie, I guess, <laughs> if you don't want to read the book. <laughs> Fantastic. Max Tuckman, founder and CEO of Caribou, thank you for being on today. Thank you guys for having me. This is so much fun. If you like this show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And most importantly, tell your friends because it's the best recommendation we can get. Until next time, this is Limited Liability Podcast. Thanks for listening. Run, run, run.